previously on Truanon. This is the most classical episode we've ever done. We're talking about some crazy stuff that's going on in the state that I've never been to for good reason. I've been twice. Utah. Yes, Utah, and specifically recent reports that came out wherein the DA of Utah County had to publicly deny that he's ever been involved in not only ritualistic child sex abuse, but has in fact never actually cannibalized a child either. (laughs) This is a bit of a confusing episode because everybody has the most boring name that you could ever imagine. So I have this thing called Mormon face, Mm -hmm. right? You don't have Mormon face. I don't have (laughs) Mormon face. I don't have it. I have a concept where there's this like kind of doughy boyishness that I call Mormon face. Yeah. They kind of blur together. So David Levitt, he is the embattled DA of Utah County who looks like Bill Barr and speaks fluent Ukrainian. Mike Smith, the bald-headed sheriff of Utah County. Then we have David Hamblin, a white man in a teepee with a penchant for peyote and some deeper problems. Uh, We also then have Nicholas Rossi. Now that one sticks out in your brain. Yes. Also because he has about eight other names. Yes, but he is a dead man wanted for rape, resurrected as a fat professor in Scotland. I I gotta be real with you, literally greatly dislike the way every single person named here looks. I'm telling you, it's all, they've all got that doughy fit that all blends together. June 1st, they held dueling press conferences with the Utah County Attorney David Levitt going first and the County Sheriff, Mike Smith, going second about a possible ritualistic sex and maybe cannibalism case that, while not publicly named, David Levitt, the attorney himself, is saying that he's being implicated in and he's fingering the sheriff. Yeah, so little true non tip. Don't ever implicate yourself, if no one else has yet, in any kind of child abuse and or cannibalism case. I feel like if you are if you have to deny that you ever ate a baby, just go up there and be like, listen, a lot of people are saying a lot of crazy shit right yeah. now. It's the classic, you know, oh, my public statement about not eating a baby has a lot of people asking about my public statement. And, and that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> the old political politicking. Exactly. So I know that's a little confusing there, but there's two different cases here. Yes. That he says are connected. So we've got the case with the therapist. Yes. And we've got the case of Nicholas Rossi. Exactly. And then we've got the child sex abuse investigation. Which involves the case from the therapist. Yes. That Nicholas Rossi is also pushing. Got it. Okay, I know that's a little confusing, but think of it as like a little triangle. Yeah, the devil triangle. All connected. Yeah, what the fuck is going on here? I'm literally never going to Utah. They're all still freaks. It's all, like, literally, if you live in Utah, you should move. You know, my only contact with Mormonism is I once made love to a beautiful Mormon girl in my teens. Interesting. Yes, but she was kicked out for getting ear piercing. What if we kind of like, I don't know, maybe like invited some other women kind of into our family. The a little little June surprise here. Mm. I'm picking up good vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> Our plane is landing in Salt Lake City Airport, (laughs) International Airport. (gasps) Hold on. Yes.
Hello, Brace. Hello, Liz. So crazy to run into you here at this gate. It's so weird. Wow. Wow. I just got back from Turks and Caicos. You always talk about Turks and Caicos. Just found, kind of found out about it. We, why? What's up with that? What's I Caicos? Mean, it's Nyland. Yeah, I know, but it's, I, don't, I don't know if I like the sound of those. My name is Brace. Hello, Brace. My name is Liz. We are, of course, joined by producer Young Chomsky, and this is Truanon. Two on. Yes, that was true. Not true. You. We. Uh, we've been really been, for about a week now. We've been struggling to make you, the word Utah work in any kind of way like that. Whether it rhymes or whether we can replace Tuta. a word with it. It's Tuta. We're called. We. That's what the notes for this episode is called. Tuta. I don't know if I love that for an episode yeah. name, but we will. We'll. 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 We'll workshop it. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. Uh huh. We did that episode. Very fun. Last one. Yes. Great episode. Fantastic. Had a blast. Soak Lake City. Young Chomsky was here. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we laughed, we cried. We learned a lot. I learned a lot. Oh, yeah. Huge. Listeners, I think, learned a lot of new ways to pronounce a lot of places around the world. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Never did we think we would be back here doing a part two of this story. Yes. Yeah. Rarely do we do an immediate sequel episode <laughs> without prior deciding that amongst ourselves. But this was so pressing and so many new things have, I don't know if necessarily occurred, but developed within this yes. story that we realized that the Utah DA baby eating case, <laughs> which I don't know any other shorthand to, way to say it, uh, <sighs> has expanded beyond uh the scope we previously thought and really beyond our wildest imaginations. Yeah. Certainly I wouldn't have just independently thought of some of the stuff here on my own. So before we get into that, we are hopefully going to try to resummarize this case the best that we can, Mm -hmm. which we tried to do in the first episode. And I think, you know, Maybe you listen to it about three times, you might get it. Yeah. It's difficult. So, yeah, I understand that uh, some of the feedback we received from our previous episode, despite our warnings that it was going to be essentially impossible to follow unless you took notes, which we didn't actually warn that, but that should have been the subtext. You should always take notes during sh- our episode. What else are you doing? Don't do that. I don't want any unofficial transcripts out there. That's No, no it's like all for that. personal use. For personal for use per- only. Exactly. Or That's, your I always put that on my notebooks. Just in case anyone gets any ideas about publishing them. I say only women After can I've them. died. So, we have here a summary, which we will not interrupt each other while talking about, but we are going to trade off paragraphs reading. This is, I wrote this out, much like the cast of characters, right before the episode. So if I forgot anything, well then, so sue me. But Liz, could you start us off here? On May 31st. The Utah County Sheriff's Department put out a press release saying they're investigating ritualistic sexual abuse between 1990 and 2010, saying portions of these allegations were confirmed. No names were released. The next day, on June 1st, Utah County DA David Levitt gives a press conference claiming that he is named in a 151-page victim statement from a 2012 case filed by his predecessor against a local therapist who David Levitt knew and was longtime family friends of. He claims to be accused of cannibalism and sexual abuse in the document. He claims the statements are by a tragically mentally ill young woman. 
David Levitt says the sheriff is colluding with an accused rapist named Nicholas Rossi in Scotland to sabotage the June 28th election that Levitt is participating in and calls for the sheriff to resign. Levitt was elected in 2018 and is very conservative, though he's being called the Chesa Boudin of Utah County for his slight reforms to cash bail. He disbanded the SVU and lost around 23 lawyers in 2020. The sheriff, Mike Smith, gives a press conference that same day denying these claims. The therapist David Levitt mentions is a man named David Hamblin, a disbarred therapist who was accused by his own daughter in 2012 of over a dozen counts of rape. He was investigated by David Sturgill, the DA at the time of Utah County, who dropped the charges. Hamblin was also a non-native Native American medicine man who was busted for peyote as a member of the Oklava Native American Church. David Levitt knew him well. When David Hamblin was arrested for peyote, he was arrested alongside a man named James Flaming Eagle Mooney and his wife, Linda Mooney, the founders of the Oklava Native American Church. David Levitt mentions that the sheriff was colluding with a man named Nicholas Rossi. Nicholas Rossi is a convicted sex offender who faked his own death in 2020 and moved to Scotland. He was arrested in the COVID ward in September 2021 as Arthur Knight. He is currently being extradited. His story is a lot more insane as we covered on the previous and perhaps future episodes. He is being represented by two former members of Levitt's disbanded SVU. Arthur Knight claims that he is not Nicholas Rossi. I think that covers pretty much everything. Yeah. Okay, cut to the present. Present day. Actually, flashback, couple days. We released that last episode. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring the listeners up to date. We released the episode, and a lot of people comment on the way that I pronounce cities and names of things, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about later. That's uh, uh, neuro-ableist. But also, it seems that the podcast crosses the desk of a man in Scotland, one Arthur Knight. So Arthur Knight at first appears in the mentions underneath the tweet in which we posted the podcast episode, offering his confusion about the case, about his being uh, Nicholas Rossi. Yes. Now you, excuse me, are intern Marcos. Social media intern. Yeah. Social media mar- intern Marcos. Mm-hmm. He posted quite a long thread detailing some of the, the characters in the case um, David Lovett, some photos, you know, like a nice little like intro thing. Like exactly. Marcos is good at kind of getting, you know, people, you know, retweeting, liking, engaging yes. Yes. On, with our content. He's great. Um, but Rossi like really latched onto this. Yeah. Rossi finds the tweets. And as Rossi is tweeting under the name, and in fact, living under the name Arthur Knight, he finds he's obviously, he's got a fucking search alert on for either David Levitt or Nicholas Rossi mm. or both. So he finds those tweets and he, he, he tweets a bunch at me. He's since deleted all of them. But he and, in fact, first his wife, Miranda Knight, begin hitting the DMs. Okay. So let's go through this. Nicholas Rossi hits me up 
at 7.37, the day after the episode comes out. And he says, I would be glad to help you with whatever you're after, but I can promise you I'm not Rossi. For whatever that's worth, it has been proved and it will be proved in court. But my wife and I have been through enough. We have been trying to escape this nightmare. It is truly bizarre. Three minutes later, he says, And I have no clue who you are, but I'm taking a big risk here telling you off the record that arrests will be made and Levitt will be named by 1st of July. Please keep that off the record. I'm telling you what I've been told. They simply want to wait until after the election. Now, pause. Yeah, pause. We got to talk about this because I needed some clarification, probably for like the third or fourth time about this. Yes. So, well, to, uh, there's a few things here. Number one, when, when N- Nicholas Rossi, a.k.a. Arthur Knight, was in my mentions, he was posting excerpts from that 151-page document David Levitt mentions that names David Levitt, which had not been released to the public. Mm. Of course, Rossi's lawyers had previously been members of SVU, meaning that they might have given that document, yes. et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and so... He was posting all that kind of stuff, trying to kind of get me on side. And, you know, of course, I was very interested in reading that document. Um, I've not responded to him, although I did ask him how he got his hands on it. Uh, another thing is that off the record here is fake. Yes. Now, I was confused about this. Yeah. So you cannot unilaterally declare something off the record and expect it to be kept off the record. Yeah, that's not a thing. It's a rookie mistake. Off the record, first of all, is not really a... Th- it's not like a legal concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an agreement. Yeah. And I don't agree. Do you know... Why would you... First you of are- all, don't talk to journalists. Yeah. Yes. Here's rookie mistake number one, Mr. Rossi. We're not journalists. Oh, here... Oh, Mr. Journalist who's going to print up a story? Here, let me tell you some stuff I'm not supposed to tell you. What are you, an idiot? Don't do that. Yeah. So this is a mistake a lot of people make is that they, they talk, they're trying to ingratiate themselves with some kind of journalist or reporter or somebody, and they're like off the record and then blah, 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 blah. You would want to agree with that journalist that what you said will not be printed or used on background. Yeah. And I got to be honest, if you're really concerned about it, just don't say a fucking word. Here's my tip. You're in that deep. You should agree to walk away. Yeah, absolutely. You should not be talking to a journalist ever. So he says, follows that up with, however, good luck in all that you do. This is like 40 minutes later. And don't hesitate to give me a bell should you need anything. Cheers. Okay, so clearly he had Uh, not listened to the podcast at that point. He had only seen the tweets. Yes. Eventually, he says, in fact, about an hour later, he says, okay, mate, your podcast is prejudicial. I'm not Rossi. This is bizarre. Our podcast is not prejudicial. Yeah, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Against Scottish people? All this is just, we're, you know, everything that we say is our opinion anyway. Exactly. What do you want? Tax returns? Driving license? Government documents? Why? Why couldn't you ask me for proof of who I am? Because I don't want to talk to you. But you're, yeah, you are convicted sex offender and currently being extradited rapist Nicholas Rossi. I'm in hospital with pulmonary embolisms at the moment. This is the last thing I need. First of all, if you're in the hospital with pulmonary embolisms, get off your phone. If you're in the hospital with pulmonary embolisms and you're DMing the Truanon podcast Twitter account, Mm. I'm sorry. Your prognosis is grim. (laughs) 
So his wife hit me up too. Uh, we, she and I had a little sidebar that doesn't need to be gone into. Yeah, wait, here. I haven't seen those. It doesn't. No, it's all good though. You don't. That's not like really your business to look at them. But uh, you know, there the uh, the documents that have been mentioned here, the 151 page report that David Levitt is mentioned in yeah. by, by what he calls a tragically mentally ill young woman, has been released via FOIA uh, on a sort of crazy lady's substack. Although I've checked with friends in high places, and they do appear to be legitimate mm. documents. Yeah. Meaning people on the ground in Utah, because really the, you know, the elevation is quite high up there. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I got to say, we've read all of the documents at this point. Yes. And they're tough. There's nothing we love to do more than reading documents for this podcast. No, but I, you know, I got to say, Levitt says in that press conference that these documents are like really salacious and like hard to believe. They are. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, I and mean, specifically he's talking about victim statement number three. Sure. Um, and I got to say, I was like, well, you know, this guy, you know, he's got a weird path. Like, I won't let me read them myself. Let me see how salacious, you know, they really are. And they are kind of wild. Yeah, they're really, really wild. I mean, they've, they've got, they hit everything. Yeah. I mean, we're talking Church of Satan, baby sacrifice. Levin and his wife are mentioned several times. Yes. Um, Other prominent names mentioned. Yes. Um, the thing is, like, you know, reading those, kind of anybody who would actually read those, even if you are, like, kind of hip to a lot of the darker sides of, uh, of well, not only the American upper class, but, you know, people people do when they get into the occult, uh, this stuff is, is difficult to believe. Sure. Um, it's simply, some of the stuff is... Uh, physically impossible, uh, and some of it seems logistically improbable. And so I was like, "Well, fuck. I guess maybe it is like a kind of you know crazy like somebody somebody who you know maybe they're you know mentally ill or maybe you know maybe this is a confluence of stuff that that they're kind of misremembering half my memory, whatever." But it's it's it was kind of a little hard to take it seriously until we read another document. Yeah, there's another statement by a separate victim, mm -hmm. another victim. Yeah. That wasn't, I guess, wasn't part of the charges that were brought against David Hamblin. Yeah. But who had contacted uh, investigators when Hamblin was arrested and said, you know, I had, uh, I have a history with this guy and I'd like to offer some testimony kind of in support of this other case. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so the 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 person whose whose timeline we're going to kind of be going through here and whose relationship to this case uh you know will become clear um we're going to use a pseudonym for him yeah. the pseudonym of Brad this person has actually come forward uh and given a couple of of media interviews neither of which has been released in full or at length there's really yeah. only about 2 minutes 2 odd minutes of him talking anywhere on two different sources um, but I, I gotta say, uh, reading, reading through this timeline and reading this guy's testimony, um, we won't be reading much of it verbatim. We'll be sort of summarizing a lot of it. Uh, it, it really kind of gave me a, a different, um, a different view of this case mm -hmm. and a, a definitely a different view of, of, um, David Hamlin's his daughter, whose, whose victim statement it is, uh, of, of her account of what happened. Yeah. And just to be clear, we are changing his name. We're using a pseudonym, not because we're journalists, but because we're nice people. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, let's and those not are two different things. Make sweeping statements here, but yeah. Um, so I also want to make it clear that obviously this is a statement by an alleged victim given to police about an alleged perpetrator. Okay, about a suspect in a in a at the time ongoing case until it was dropped by David Sturgill, the DA. To be clear, David Hamblin has not been convicted of any of these crimes in a court of law. So this is all we're doing is repeating somebody else's allegations. Yeah. Which is not legally actionable against us. Let's begin. So this is a 2013 statement provided by Brad um, to the police uh, or to the district attorney's office. Um, And so between 1994 and 1995, uh, a Utah man named Brad was a patient of David Hamblin. He was referred to David Hamblin by his bishop, who said that Hamblin specialized in reparative therapeutic techniques that could convert him to being a straight man. Now, real quick. At this time, David Hamblin was a member of the of the LDS. Yes, yeah. In fact, everybody involved in this is a member of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So he, yeah, he's a member of LDS. He's referred to like he's you know a bishop in LDS is referring a a you know one of I guess his flock to uh, to this guy. In a Mormon context. For gay conversion therapy. For gay conversion therapy. So Brad had actually just gotten off of his his mission, right? You mm-hmm. know, where you, you're, you're like, you know how you're like walking through Guatemala and you're trying to sell fucking Yeah, they have to wear guns a suit, to some right? guy. Well, yeah, but like you're there and you're staying at a hotel, you're wearing a white suit, trying to sell a bunch of guns to oh, people. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I remember. you're like, I'm cool. I'm the only gringo here at the hotel. At and the- then the two guys in black suits show up and they got little name tags yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. what's an elder? But exactly. Well, you're 14 years old. You're an elder. Yeah. And then you sell them into white slavery. So, uh, you know, he is. He had just gotten off of his his mission, and he's, um, you know, he's really struggling with his sexuality. He's a young guy. Obviously, it is frowned upon to be gay, and he wants to change that. So he goes to David Hamblin. So Hamblin, on Brad's first visit, explains that his therapeutic process revolves around hypnosis, and that he can very likely cure Brad of his homosexuality via those means. Brad had just returned from his LDS mission, was an active member of the church, and really wanted to cure himself. So by the second session, Hamblin has him lie down on a leather couch and hypnotizes him. However, Brad says that he wasn't hypnotized at this or any other point. And that's something that comes up a lot during this uh, you know, rather lengthy timeline, is Brad kind of keeps insisting, like, in retrospect, like, I don't think I was hypnotized for a single second. Mm. So going through the kind of first month of his, like, therapeutic journey, I don't even know what they call this, but this kind of same pattern emerges over the following weeks. He would lie down on the couch, be hypnotized, but no hypnosis would actually occur. Hamlin diagnoses Brad with multiple personality disorder, MPD, and he says that this is due to ritualistic sexual abuse that Brad underwent as a child. So that is really interesting to me. Mm. Right. I mean, obviously, we've done an episode on DID, MPD. 
Um, and that comes up a lot when you're sort of reading about, you know, uh, SRA um, mm-hmm. or, you know, ritualistic abuse of any kind or even like child abuse of any kind. Obviously, there are a lot of controversies around DID, MPD being like real, especially in the sense that they're are described in in this case Mm -hmm. um but i think it's it's this is this sort of shocked me when we were first reading through this because i was like wait he's diagnosing him with having like david hamblin the accused ritualistic abuser is diagnosing a patient with having been ritualistically abused and having mpd yeah there's a little inception going on exactly in more ways than one so hamblin tells brad that he encountered Brad's multiple personalities while he's under hypnosis. So it's sort of like, oh, you don't know that you have this, but I can see it because you're under hypnosis and all of these multiple personalities emerge. This is what Brad has to say. This was difficult for me to understand as I still felt I had not achieved any state of hypnosis and could remember the full sessions with no loss of time. So Dr. Hamlin begins to tell Brad the ways uh, he had been programmed as a child and patterned to be obedient through the kind of systemic sexual and physical torture that he endured. So Hamblin tells him that the torture would be so extreme that Brad develops multiple shards of personalities to deal with them and that those shards are basically under total control, still under total control of the abusers in his past. Yeah. Okay. So he's saying that like every time you were abused, a little bit of your personality sort of split off and created a new personality. But that new personality is under the control of these, as we find out later, satanic ritual abusers. Yeah. This is not in any way like how any kind of actual diagnosis of multiple personality disorder would go. Yeah, I gotta say... Even in cases of extreme abuse, which is where this usually presents. Yeah, exactly. I, I gotta say, like, even if, you know, okay, th- say say Brad here had been abused horribly as a child and had developed this sort of coping mechanism of coming up with these, quote, different personalities within himself, uh, that seems like it would be pretty hard to diagnose uh, this concretely in so short a time right. of meeting the person. And also the the idea that these these um, personalities are under the control of someone else, even if meant figuratively, not really the way that that goes about. Yeah, and keep in mind too, Brad had gone to David Hamblin and be like, "I need gay conversion therapy." Yeah. Ugh. So Brad tells Hamblin, he's like, "I don't really feel like I've been hypnotized," and Hamblin, but Hamblin's like, "No, you have been." There's just powerful blocks that the abusers from your past have like put in place that are preventing you from realizing that you've been hypnotized. Which Good again, God. also that doesn't make any sense. No, none whatsoever. Hamblin then tells Brad that it's through hypnosis and suggestion that ritual abusers had accessed him as a child beginning at two years old. He says the abusers are satanic worshipers acting as faithful members of the LDS church. Now, I want to pause real quick. Love a pause here. Liz, you remember reading victim statement number three. Yes. Right? Yes. The, this is That is the 151-page. 151 151-page 151 statement that David Levitt referenced, and that is sort of at the... At the this is so far the Very only... Very contentious at the heart of this case. Yes. And so far, the only... I think the only one of the statements that actually directly references David Levitt. Yes. It's been part of the circle of abusers. 
Now, one thing that document, and I think one other really heavily like relies on sort of for the, for the narrative of the abuse, is the satanic worshipers acting as faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. So I think this and is... beginning at almost two years old. In fact, the first instance of abuse that's recalled by the woman in, by victim number three... Mm-hmm. Uh, begins talking about as a toddler, as a baby, I remember this, like as one, two years old at a very, very young age. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of, it it is, it is really interesting to note here how many correlations there are between the stuff that David Hamblin is, is clearly trying to implant on Brad Mm. and what he actually maybe successfully did implant on his own daughter. Yes. Which is really kind of a mind-bender. Again, this is the inception thing I'm talking about. Yeah. The walls are now, like, upside down, and we're inside the, like, yeah. mirror skyscraper falling on Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever happens yeah. in that movie. Yeah, uh, that's what happens. Okay. I don't know, maybe. You never saw it? Uh, it was kind of one of those things that you watch. that pretty French girl. really tune out of it. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about all his movies. Yeah. Okay. Brad learns that he had been programmed with basically certain phrases and signals that were given at church that would then make him leave his house at night and go attend the rituals, like spots, the locations where they would kind of perform these ritualized, satanic ritualized abuse ceremonies that again featured all like prominent members of the LDS church. Incredible. At this point, Hamblin begins an exorcism on Brad. Yeah, so that's something that they really just continue doing basically until the end here. Yeah, they also kind of, um, let's say, gloss over the details of that. Yeah, I, I listen, again, you know, we don't know a ton about what happens in Mormon's places. Yeah. I don't know what you guys are doing out there. I would like to say if you're Mormon, you should give us the the rundown, but I also, I'm not sure I want to know. Yeah. I mean, are exorcisms common? I thought there was only like the Italian style religions that yeah. really relied on that kind of stuff. Like, I think all of them. They Everyone's doing exorcisms? I mean. Well, anyways, I, you know, I did not know that Mormons did these, but I mean, month one of gay conversion therapy, getting an exorcism, honestly, that doesn't sound that weird. Okay. You know, I feel like they'd probably actually like, day, if I'm trying to c- gay convert someone as like a religious guy, I'm like, we got to get that demon out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, in, first move. Exactly. In this case, we later find out by what they mean as exorcisms is they're exercising these multiple personality shards from Brad. Right. So they're not actually exercising demons, although I don't know really, functionally, I guess that's a demon. I don't really understand. Yeah, I don't really understand the distinction. Yeah. I suppose if the multiple personalities are gay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I guess I would if I was if I was his gay conversion guy, I'd be like, well, we're actually gonna replace your gay personality with this straight one. Mm. And we're just gonna do a switcheroo switch with your shards. Yeah, a little switchums. But uh that is not how this went down. Yeah. So from months two to six, this is this is what this period covers. Brad tells David Hamblin that the abuse that that Hamblin keeps describing just doesn't seem real. He says, I share with him on multiple occasions my concern that these abuses just didn't feel like they happened. Mm. Hamblin, quote, assured me that my abusers had programmed me to feel this way when memories of abuse began to surface. I I I was told that I needed to believe 
everything that came into my mind while I was in his office. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. Yeah. And I just want to point out, and I'm sure I know that every woman out there is thinking this right now, but this is gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, gaslighting is just when you're writing an argument. Um, but yeah, he's tricking him. You're doing it to me now. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's the dictionary <laughs> definition of fucking gaslighting. I just showed it to you 10 minutes ago. Are you seriously trying to fuck with the gaslight god on this? That shit's a hoax. So it's not annoying. real. People came up with that. Ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the noise of joy from a woman's mouth. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a crazy ass thing for your, for your therapist to be like, you know what? I know that you say that you weren't molested by sat Satanists as a two-year-old, but actually you're tripping. Everything I tell you here is, is right. Yes. Every single thing that I tell you. Uh, in fact, everything that comes into your mind while you're in this office is real. At this point, the bishop that referred Brad to Hamblin's office begins attending Brad's sessions and exercising Brad's multiple personalities. Okay, so I want I also want to point this out. This bishop can in no way claim any kind of plausible deniability. It's mm -hmm. not like, look, our our bishop office is just we're just referring gay kids left and right. We don't really know who we're referring them to. We got a whole Rolodex of crazies here in Utah. It's like, look, everyone's crazy in Utah. It's not our fault. No, Bishop can't say that. Bishop is there. Yeah. This Bishop is a, either a mega coward mm. or genuinely neurodivergent. <sighs> well, Liz, then we get to the six to eight month period. Yeah. Things get, I mean, things get pretty dark. Brad begins self-harming. Um, he starts cutting his own abdomen. This is the way he describes it with a razor blade. I'm assuming he's just cutting himself, dealing with the pain yeah. of what he's going through and the anxiety. Ugh, so awful. Uh, he wakes up. This is very weird. He wakes up one morning and he looks down and he sees a symbol carved into his arm. He says it's an arrow with a connected drop and two overlapping triangles. Now, I don't really know what he means by connected drop. That's the thing is, I actually tried to look this up, um, mm. and it was difficult for me to actually figure out how to rephrase that, because just like looking that up, you don't get anything. I don't know what connected drop means. I mean, maybe the like the triangular part of the arrow, like the sides of that? Mm. I don't know. What's the drop? It's like the, the part that goes down. I have down. no idea what he's talking about. I, well, connected to what? I don't know. Yeah. Um. This is the part that's really confusing to me um, because, you know, uh, Brad says multiple times that like at no point was he ever actually under hypnosis. He was down it the entire time. Obviously, he's under a ton of emotional duress right now, right? Like he's mm -hmm. under, you know, he's a young guy who really doesn't want to be gay. He's seeking out conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. He's undergoing conversion therapy from an... Obviously, anybody who does it is insane, but from a particularly insane guy yeah, um, who is like fully just like, hey, not only are you gay, but you actually were just like systematically abused by Satanists who you thought you trusted beginning from when you were a fucking two-year-old, yeah. right? So what I can imagine here is that like he's going crazy. And that, like, he, I mean, he later talks about having an emotional breakdown, you know, some years after this happened. But, I mean, I can imagine, like, if this is what you're going through at least once a week, maybe multiple times a week with this fucking psycho Hamblin, um, alleged psycho Hamblin, 
that, you know, okay, waking up with this weird thing carved into you, that could have really happened at any point. He shows this to Hamblin. That's what he says. That he shows it to Hamblin in their next session. And Hamblin pulls out a journal. He says, he he's like, this is the journal that I record all my patient notes in. And um, a funny detail about that is that Brad says he'd only previously seen Hamblin use a yellow notepad, like yeah. Classico therapist style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Hamlin opens the journal and he shows Brad in the journal the exact symbol that Brad had carved into his arm. Hamlin says that another abused patient that Hamlin was, you know, I don't know what abusing, yeah, um, had shown it to him under hypnosis the day before. This is from Brad. I only realized later the high probability that Dr. Hamblin had made the suggestion through hypnosis to have me cut the symbol in previous sessions. So I have a question, Brace. Yeah. Have you ever been under hypnosis? No. First of all, I'm not going to. Why? I don't know. You do weird shit all the time and you go to magic shows a lot. I have been. Yeah. Well, so I did go to. I mean, I've told this story on the show before. About how the magic show I went to in New York. Probably, and yes. That guy guessed. With the ATM pin? Yeah, the ATM pin number. Yeah. That was crazy. I don't, I mean, he must have used some but kind of. But you've been to other magic shows yeah, too. Yeah, I've been to shittier magic shows too. I just think you're a little, you know. They never hypnotized my ass. Did they hypnotize anyone? Have you ever seen anyone under hypnosis? I've never seen anyone under hypnosis. No. What's your opinion of hypnosis? I think, I mean, the thing is, I do think that there is a subset of people that are susceptible to hypnosis, some of whom are really susceptible to hypnosis. Mm. It's very clear to me that Brad is not one of them. Yeah. Um, However, the yeah. arm thing is strange. The arm thing's strange, but I'm actually, I'm really chalking that up to like extreme emotional duress and just like kind of losing your fucking mind. And so like, yeah, Hamblin could have like suggested for him to do that or had him do that there or like been like, this is your homework. I know that it is, it is really the strangest detail that, that, I mean, not the strangest, but one of the many strange details that jumps out at me from this. Brad records that the bishop who had recommended him, you know, the bishop who knows what the fuck is going on, yeah, now believes that he has been accessed by ritual abusers and has entered his own process of therapy with Dr. Hamblin. So the very bishop. The very, the very bishop. The very bishop who was like, you need to get your gay conversion shit, is like, oh, I was actually satanically ritually abused too, Mm. and I got to go to this doctor. Very odd. Very weird. So we mentioned the cutting. I mean, Hamlin convinces Brad of a couple of other things. He convinces Brad that he suffocated animals as a child using his own body weight, that that was like his kind of like practice that he was instructed to do. um, So that later in life, he would have the ability to just take a human life when he was older. Now this sounds absolutely fucking ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's insane. So like, he's like, you have these repressed memories that you don't remember, but I actually do remember them for you that you had used your body weight to kill small animals as like a very, as a young child. As like homework, as like Satan homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, Hamblin, ends up introducing Brad to another patient of his 
Um, we're going to call this one Alice. Uh, Alice is, at this point, a 30-year-old woman, woman who also has multiple personality disorder due to, you guessed it, ritualistic sex abuse. Um, she was referred to Hamblin through the exact same bishop that referred Brad. And um, Brad says, I knew Alice only as CJ, a seven-year-old boy, which we have to presume was one of Alice's multiple personalities. Good Lord. So Brad and Alice, uh, their sessions get combined, which, again, if you know anything about therapy, that doesn't happen. Usually don't do that. That's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, Those sessions get combined, and Hamlin begins exercising their split personalities together using, I can't believe you're going to make me say this, Mezeldick? Wow. How do you say it? Melchizedek. Melchizedek? Priesthood. You know, you had said it three other ways, oh, too. Oh, Melchizedek. <laughs> Melchizedek? Melchizedek. I'm Jewish. Okay? This isn't our word. I, I mean, it sounds very ancient. Frankly, it sounds a little Polish. No. Yeah. Melchizedek. Oh, yeah. This, is, yeah, this doesn't sound Polish. Melchizedek priesthood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Okay. This is so terrible. Brad learns basically, he basically learns of other abuse that he'd suffered as a child, including one where he's stuck in a garbage bag, suffocated and then released, and then, you know, made to worship his abusers after being in the garbage bag. So this is like a full six months of like complete psychological torture from David Hamblin to Brad. I mean, just like, unleashing every you were molested you have multiple personality disorder you've killed animals maybe you've killed a person like you are like i mean he is really psychologically battering this person who came to him in an hour of desperate need right yeah so at this point we get to months eight through twelve brad says dr hamblin no longer walks me through the steps to become hypnotized He informs me that I fall into a disassociative state by simply walking into his office. I continue to feel Mm. that I have never fallen into a state of hypnosis. I want to pause again for one second and say that, like, the kind of levels of abuse happening here. Yeah. Like, the fact that you are enduring this, being told that you don't remember what you're actually enduring because you're you're under hypnosis. Yeah. And in addition to that, you don't remember... In actuality, the real abuse, the original abuse that you endured, which you're revealing when you're hypnotized, which, again, you don't realize you're being hypnotized. I mean, it's like so many fucking levels to um, just, yeah, really, really brutal stuff. I mean, it's to a fucking kid. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, he really hits like every note here. So Hamblin informs Brad that he, which is Brad, had been forced to sexually abuse children that were younger than him. So we're really hitting everything here. Some of those children that he abused, or that he was, Hamblin tells him he abused, were infants. And Hamblin also tells him that older children were forced to abuse him. So uh, at one point during this period, uh, Brad says... Dr. Hamblin comes into a session very upset, and this is crucial. Pay attention to this part. He informs me that they have discovered that ritualistic abusers had been gaining access 
to his baby daughter. Yeah, okay, a couple things. One, who's they? Probably him and his wife, I guess. Yeah, but unclear. And at this point, when you know that when you're like trying to believe this thing that is unbelievable about yourself. Yeah. And then the bishop that referred you to this person has also announced that they were a victim. Of, yeah. I mean, what? imagine what you're thinking. Exactly. And then the, then the fucking, your, your psycho-hypnotist therapist freak comes in and is like, my own daughter is being abused by these people. First of all, if you find out your baby daughter is being abused by these people, don't you have some agency in like not letting that happen? Yeah. Um, I also want to just add that like, it's a, I mean... Unfortunately, this gets worse, but is there's a particular form of abuse. I mean, just a particular horror, too, level of horror. And the therapist convincing this kid that he himself was an abuser yeah. as a young age. Yeah. It's like a particular—I mean, that's like so fucked up and crazy. It's. I mean, this whole thing's insane. And, and I really stuck to, out to me about— Hamblin saying that his own daughter had been accessed by these by these people is that rereading Hamblin's daughter's testimony. Obviously, like, I mean, you can't help but think, like, wait, so did Hamblin implant memories of ritualistic sexual abuse on his own daughter? And like that really is like, I mean, that's kind of the conclusion I've come to. However, to be clear, that doesn't mean, and especially as we'll find out going through this timeline that Hamblin himself did not actually commit sexual abuse in a ritualistic manner. Mm. Okay, so Hamblin tells Brad that Brad has, quote, hundreds of personalities functioning within his psyche. And this next part is actually, I'm going to take direct, we're going to directly read it from, from the, the timeline here because it's a little hard to, to sort of sum up without getting it in whole. Mm. So Dr. Hamblin suggests my abusers gain control over me by shifting their genitals. They knew of my sexual attraction to men. I knew of my homosexuality at the age of five. The ritual abusers would exploit my homosexual tendencies and would offer me their male genitalia in a sexual way. When my face would get close to these men's genitals, their penis and testicles would turn into vaginas, and my psyche would split due to the previous experience of vaginal suffocations. I was told by Dr. Hamblin that this was how split or this was how personalities were created. Personalities were purposely created by the abusers as they are weaker than the original personality, thus accessing the original personality via the manipulation of the weaker personalities. Dr. Hamblin told me that my personalities were afraid that he, Dr. Hamblin, was a man that could shapeshift his genitals. Hamblin said that they wouldn't talk to him because of this fear, and that he wanted to address this specific fear to a great degree. The subject of shapeshifting genitals will become the second of three defining abuses Dr. Hamblin will use in my therapy to convince me to act sexually with him. So that, I mean, that is just like, you can really kind of clearly see the manipulation that's coming from obviously the manipulation that's coming from Hamblin here where he's just like I you know I'm telling you something that's so unbelievable but I'm a doctor right and I've been telling you all of this like 
deep, dark, dark secrets that are within yourself. And so when I tell you this, I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm looking for a solution to this. Right? Yeah. Like I'm trying to help you get past this. And also like I'm fucked up right now too, because I just found out my own kid yeah. was abused by these very same satanic, satanic worshipers. Abusers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is so fucking crazy. Ugh. So, yes, this is basically when Dr. Hamblin starts to initiate sexual contact with Brad. Um, I don't think we need to read exactly what happened. No. Um, but the way that Hamblin addresses the issue of the shape-shifting genitals, I don't, I don't even know like how to take that seriously. Um, Brad is deeply disturbed by this. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happens is Hamblin tells Brad that he could show him that he doesn't have a vagina. So he's saying that like Hamblin or like he's saying Brad, like, you know, you have all these multiple personalities. I'm trying to heal you. I'm trying to exercise them, but they won't talk to me because the abusers who abused you when you were young had shape-shifting vaginas. And so you were suffocated by vaginas when you were a little kid. And so you're afraid of vaginas. And so your multiple personalities, when they see me, they think that I may be one of these abusers and that I have a vagina and that my genitals can shapeshift. So I have to show you that actually that's not true. And I mean, there is like a sort of twisted, not logic to this. It is a twisted logic. Yeah, it it's is like a, a childlike. Uh, I mean, it, first of all, this is like complete and total insane child abuse, obviously, just verbally, even if there was no like sexual contact, like yeah. what this man is inflicting into the like to this kid's brain convincing him that he's a sexual abuser himself, convincing him that he has, uh, that he's wrong when he says, I don't think that I was hypnotized during those things. Like there's so many layers to this, right? Yeah. But that, but each and every one of these steps were crucial it, for Hamblin to now get to this point because they had to lay that kind of framework, that a kind of logic for explaining why abuse that happens in the context of in a therapist's office that happens in the context of with some kind of like therapeutic purpose ostensibly but there is some sort of logical explanation for that in case a kid tells someone in case a kid questions what's happening in case a kid says no and so you see how he lays this all out as we're walking through this and it's fucking sickening yeah and you know and brad himself like clearly realizes this after he's kind of exited from the insanity of like Hamblin's world, right? Like he directly says like Hamblin was grooming me, right? And, yeah. you know, and, and, and it, obviously this is more insane than like a lot of like, oh, you're so smart for your age kind of grooming. Like let's talk on Discord, voice right, chat right, or right, whatever. Right. But this is, is grooming nonetheless. Like he's mm -hmm. clearly, I mean, this is, we're at over a year in the timeline here. And Hamblin has been laying the foundation literally since like the day that, Brad walked into his office. Yeah. So he says, you know, you know, you don't trust me because, or your multiple personalities don't trust me because they think that I have shape-shifting genitals. Um, I'm going to pull my pants down and have you touch my penis to prove that it's connected to my body, which is what he does. Brad is really resistant to this, but Hamblin essentially forces him to. Hamblin then tucks his penis and balls between his legs to make it look like he has a vagina. And he says that this will show Brad's personalities, that his abusers were merely men, not men who had, like, satanic magical powers. I mean, that is just, like, 
I, 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 it's sickening, you know, like that. This is just insane. And it also just an insane thing to do yeah, too. You thing. know, we've read a lot about abuse of various kinds on this show. And like, this is truly like Hamblin is a fucking freak, even in those, in those terms. So, uh, you know, at this point, Brad says my state of mind has dissolved to a point that affects my personal life and business sessions were becoming extremely painful. I began spending multiple hours submerged within a filled bathtub, breathing through a large straw. Dr. Hamblin suggests that having a sexual experience with a righteous man might be healthy for me. I tell him I don't know any gay men. He tells me it doesn't have to be a gay man. A righteous man. So that comes up, and another issue that, that, that actually we're, we're about to talk about comes up actually during his children's testimony as well, which I think is, is something to be really noted here. Um, so, I mean, immediately after this, Hamblin suggests that Brad had, uh, previously ingested the semen of what he calls unrighteous men during the abuse he underwent as a boy. Abuse, of course, to be clear, that Hamblin has invented and tried his hardest to implant via hypnosis and suggestion in Brad's mind. He says that the semen of unrighteous men that Brad ingested as a boy has affected him on a cellular level. This process, Hamblin says, was done in a ritualistic ceremony. Hamblin says that a sexual experience with a righteous man would cure Brad of not only this bad semen in him, but of his homosexuality. So, at this point, Hamblin is still having Alice, that 30-year-old woman we mentioned Mm -hmm. before, and Brad do combined sessions. So, one weekend, Hamblin takes Alice and Brad to his farmhouse, and along with his wife... And, Brad notes, in the company of Hamblin's three small children, exercise Alice and Brad. So it's at this, at this point that Hamblin suggests that Brad drinks Hamblin's semen to unlock the righteous semen within his cells. Or, excuse me, yeah, to like get the unrighteous semen out of his cells. He says that you know, his own semen would work, or the semen of any man who, have the, who has the Melchizedek priesthood, um, Hamblin says it actually can't be him because Hamblin himself has, has never masturbated. What? Yeah, it's really confusing. So he's like, you know, you, you got this unrighteous semen in you. We can use my semen to like kind of like kick that off of there, sort of like Suboxone kicking heroin off. But uh, we could totally use mine, but actually like we can't use mine because I've, I've never masturbated. It's oh, insane. Yeah, that makes no sense. So at this point, we're a year and a half in, and uh, you know I don't want to you know go. This is he, you know Brad details this heavily in his testimony, but basically what happens is Hamblin um, essentially guides he 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 Hamblin Hamblin makes Brad give him a blowjob uh, until ejaculation, um, at which point uh, he says, "Well, I make a lot, don't I?" Brad says he says. Brad says that I was disgusted, I was terrified, I remained frozen. Um, Hamblin then sits next to Brad and uh, blesses the seed within him to displace the semen of the unrighteous men. He prays over Brad uh, that his semen will be a nutritious source for Brad. He ejaculated in his uh, in his mouth. Um, and at this point, Brad is like, like this is this as I, I think in a way this like clearly sort of just snapped him out of it, and he just walks out the door and never returns. Yeah, so six months later, Brad says he receives a call from Hamblin, 
And Hamlin tells Brad to call a woman named Lynn Whitesides. Lynn Whitesides is one of the, the Mormon September 6th. This was a group that was kicked out in uh, September of 1993, basically for questioning church doctrine. Yeah. Uh, Whitesides tells Hamblin that she's a part of a group doing peyote ceremonies with a Native American medicine man. Do you remember on our last episode, Liz? Yes. Oklahoma Native American Church. Yes. That very church is led by a, na- a man named James Mooney, who... Just going to, we're going to underline that name here. James Mooney. uh, He's leading these peyote ceremonies. And Brad says that he attends several times. So it should be noted that Hamblin, although he, we know he's a member of the Oklahoma Native American church. He's not actually at any of these ceremonies that, that Brad initially attends. He says, Brad says during these healing ceremonies that uh, Brad uh, basically discloses his abuse. uh, But he just says by a doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and Whitesides informs him that, you know, oh, there's actually like another woman who's part of this group and she had the same diagnosis of ritual abuse and she had the same kind of pattern as you of sexual abuse by the doctor. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, it's weird that Hamblin is just like telling people, hey, go to this peyote guy or, like, go to this, like, medicine man. Yeah. Because a lot of the people he seems to be telling to go there, or at least a lot of people who are going there, are the people that he abused. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Brad learns that there's, like, a a total of five women who have had similar experiences to him, all kind of related to Dr. Hamblin. Whitesides tells Brad that she has actually confronted Hamblin about Mm -hmm. all of this. Now... Let's cut to a year later. Brad attends a ceremony, different medicine man. Hamblin is there. This is his first, this is Brad's first encounter with Hamblin since the abuse, since he basically left, walked out of that office. Yeah. Right. Brad asks Hamblin how, like, basically like, oh, how's your wife? Yeah. Just like making conversation. Yeah. And this is what Hamblin responds with. It's true. Brad and I had an inappropriate sexual experience in my office, which is just like not at all related to the question that. Yeah, the group Brad was like asked. shocked when, when, because <laughs> he literally is like, that's how he answers the question, how's your wife? Right. And so the group is like, what happened here? Hamlin basically at this point, some like convinces the group to place their hands on Brad's body. And put Brad's head in Hamblin's lap. Now, this is obviously in some sort of ritual, like, concocted by Hamblin himself in some sort of, like, forgiveness ceremony. Yeah. And, by the way, they're all, like, kind of, they're all meeting at, you know, under the auspices of a kind of, you know, drug peyote ritual healing ceremony, right? Yeah. Just to give you kind of a landscape here. Um, yes, the healing act, this will forgive Dr. Hamblin. Everyone's like in on this. This seems incredibly, um, trauma. I mean, this would be really traumatizing and insane for Brad to endure. And just also then now there's like a community aspect that's, you know, all this kind of social pressure that comes with that. Just putting yourself in those, you know, in his kind of shoes there, um, feels just really 
uh, really, really awful stuff. And I mean, Brad himself says, I instantly fell under Dr. Hamblin's influence. Yeah, another guy in the group too was like, you know, you should forgive him. My entire swim team was molested by our coach. Like we forgave him, which I'm like, oh, I don't think you really need to do that. And it's hard to like read this. I mean, look, we don't have all the details. This is also just coming from Brad. And, you know, there was obviously a lot of people there, a lot of witnesses to the story, but like, it's hard to kind of not feel like some of this was pre-planned. Absolutely, yeah. And so, yeah. that there was, you know, a group of people that were either, you know, understood what was going to happen or were planning some kind of, like, I don't know, it's like reverse intervention or something, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, and in that sense, it really, I mean, <laughs> there is a kind of group abusive situation here for Brad. So... Cut to 1998, and Brad says at this point he suffered an emotional breakdown as a result of the abuse he had suffered, which, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, he underwent a series of incredibly traumatic acts. I mean, even from the fact that, like, even if he had just gotten sent to a normal, normal conversion therapy doctor, like, that in itself mm. is, you know, incredibly traumatic for a lot of people. Um, I mean, probably for everybody, but he... uh you know, he actually tells his dad at this point about the abuse that he underwent at Hamblin's hands, uh, and he and his father formulate a plan to actually confront Hamblin. So he and his dad ask a close friend and neighbor of Hamblin to sort of help them confront him. Now, this is, I'm not going to name this guy, um, but, you know, this is one of the people that's also mentioned uh, in the same victim report by Hamblin's daughter that David Levitt is mentioned in. Mm. And one thing that Levitt said during his press conference that really sort of stuck out to me is that the victim report was so outlandish that the SVU declined to interview anybody that was named in it. Now, I got to be clear here. You know, the guy that is a friend of Hamblin, this is, it's not David Levitt, the guy that's a friend and neighbor of Hamblin that's mentioned in this also mentioned in victim report number three. That alone, the fact that he, he, you know, his name comes up in two different, like, basically testimonies yeah, uh, or testimonials about this uh, should be enough to at least ask him about specifically these circumstances that happen right here. So, um, you know, the, that, that friend and neighbor agrees. Uh, you know, Brad also hits up the bishop who referred him, you know, mm -hmm. the one who also was convinced about uh, the ritualistic abuse happened to him as yeah. well. Uh, he says the bishop, you know, he, the bishop acts like, like Brad is lying and sort of refuses further contact with him. Uh, and so, or he wants no further part in it rather. And so the three men, the friend, uh, Brad and his father go and confront Hamblin and all of a sudden Hamblin's bishop, who's not the bishop, who's not the bishop that referred like Hamblin's own bishop from like his area comes in too. So apparently Hamblin had already confessed in some respect to the church that something had happened. Mm. And so to the, the LDS. To the yeah, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, and so the bishop was there. Like, you know, it, to this day, I mean, in 2013, Brad seems kind of confused about what that was all about, like why that bishop showed up. Mm. Um, you know, Brad goes over the story that basically we've just gone over. Uh, and accuses Hamblin of trying to implant memories and into sexually abusing him. The only thing that Hamblin says is, I know you don't believe that you were ritualistically abused, 
but you were. So Brad and his father tell Hamblin to turn himself into the Department of Professional Licensing, you know, like where obviously where he got his like um, psychiatry license. Okay. So I understand that inclination. Yeah. And I agree that this man should not be a licensed therapist, but I also believe that this man should be reported to the police. That's the confusing thing about a lot of this, right? Yes. Like Brad, I kind of understand wanting to be like, I, you know, maybe doesn't want this following him around or something. But yeah. But, like, uh, no one in the church, in either church that Hamblin's involved in, none of the, like, it seems like almost dozens of people who are aware of this abuse... Want to say anything about say it. Say anything about Which, it. Which, now, I will say, if you are a Uton mm-hmm. or even a Teuton, uh, hit the old DMs, because... Yeah. If you have any insight into perhaps why this might be, why this might be. Yeah. Very curious about yeah. that. So, Brad actually calls the Department of Professional Licensing about a week later and learns that Hamblin has turned himself in, mm. turned himself in, you know, called them and told them and uh, admitted guilt and lost his license. Now, that, again, that all seems, it's very odd. That seems fake to me. So, Brad actually Was is he like, ever licensed? I mean, I think so. Brad, Brad asks, like, hey, do you need me to give a statement? The the department says, uh, no, we're good. That also doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. None of this makes sense to me. Yeah, because, I mean, I got to say, like, how come if he, I mean, I, they, it doesn't seem like they told Brad exactly what Hamblin told them. But it, if Hamblin did go to them and was like, yeah, I've been molest, I've been raping my patients and implanting memories in them and trying to implant memories in them. Well, clearly that's not what he said. Obviously not, but there'd be some kind of investigation. And, you know, if you did just revoke a guy's license, even for any reason, and somebody calls you and is like, hey, I, I, I want to give a statement about this guy, to refuse them not once, but he says refuses him twice. But also it makes no sense. Like, what? okay, this is what we know about our lovely bureaucratic institutions, especially ones that dole out employment licenses, known for their speediness. Yeah. Absolutely. You call them and you're like, I'm a guilty person, revoke my license, and it's done in a day. No questions asked. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Well, you know- I'm going to say this. Yeah. This is, I don't believe this is what happened at all. There's something, yeah, there's definitely more to this story in some way, absolutely, because that is extremely weird that they wouldn't just like take a statement by him. Yeah, I, I just don't think that. Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know. I don't think that, yeah. I yeah. have a really hard time believing that also after hearing that, you know, a therapist abused your kid that you would say, we've got to revoke your license. Yeah. I just, I mean, I'm just like, if you no. don't reach for a gun, it's because you've gone to the police yeah. when you're talking about your fucking kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's like you go and confront him and you're like, Hey, uh, you got to turn yourself into the DOPL. It's like, what? I mean, this guy raped your child Yeah, and you're three of you there and there's one of him. So, um, regardless, Brad is, then excommunicated from the Mormon church. Yes. Which seems to be not fair at all. 
No, it's crazy that like, yeah, Brad is just fully kicked out at yes. this point. Like you are, he's, it seems like he actually might've been kicked out before Hamblin was, mm. which is really something. Yeah. We should say also Hamblin kicked out of the Mormon church. All right, so we're at 2011 now. Brad learns that Hamblin is now fully a medicine man. A woman Brad knew named Beth was an attendee at, at Hamblin's sessions. So Brad tells her actually what happened. She confronts Hamblin, and he just is like doesn't deny it. She then leaves the group, tells other people, but no one else leaves. Yeah. Now, cut to 2013. And like kind of as we started this off, Brad hears about Hamblin's arrest for uh, abuse charges related to someone else, not him. Yeah. He calls the DA and basically offers himself up in support of the victim in that case, which is actually Hamblin's daughter. Yeah. Um, Brad calls the bishop from the beginning of the story, and I'm just going to read from the statement here. He, meaning the the bishop, he, again, this is Brad's words. He apologized for not attending the meeting to confront Dr. Hamblin, but wanted me to know that he did believe me. After my phone call to him in 1997, he pulled his daughter out of therapy with Dr. Hamblin. He also informed me that he pulled a sister from the ward from Dr. Hamblin's care and learned that she was sexually abused with the same tactics. He also, at that time, called Dr. Hamblin's stake president and informed him of David's abusive behaviors and that he would testify against Dr. Hamblin if it was needed, as mentioned above. Dr. Hamblin was excommunicated from the Mormon church. I do not know why the church authorities did not report Dr. Hamblin's activity to the authorities, meaning the state. I believe that Bishop, that person's name, sent many members of our ward to see Dr. Hamblin. I know of three families in the Alpine area that have been broken through both accusation of abuses as well as those who believe they were victimized by abuse. I believe these families were all patients of Dr. David Hamblin. Now, something important from there is that these families were uh, broken by accusations of abuse and those who were, believe they were victimized by abuse. So this actually seems to be Hamblin telling these people that their parents had abused them mm. or that like, you know, somehow there was abuse there. And it seems to be about the abuse that Hamblin himself actually uh, inflicted upon his patients. So Brad learns that Hamblin has now been running these peyote ceremonies. He learns that Linda Mooney, again, wife of James Mooney, is one, is one of the people administering the peyote in Hamlin's circles. Brad says that both James and Linda Mooney of the Oklahoma Native American Church knew of Hamblin's rapes and didn't say a word. So... The Moonies are, it seems weird that this person, these people's name is Mooney because it feels like we're talking about the Moonies. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone named Mooney and a kind of like scammy church, you know, obviously you're going to go to the famous one, which is called the Moonies. The Moonies themselves, yes. yeah. Although that's an I-E-S, I believe. It is, yeah. 
James Mooney is now basically running like an MLM ayahuasca fake shaman church ring. Yeah. All throughout the country. Yeah. It seems like he really hit on like pretending. I mean, maybe he is a little native, um, but using whatever kind of native. Very, very disputed. Yes. Okay. Using his, let's say, extremely disputed Native American heritage uh, as a way to essentially push legal drugs and not just drugs prostitution as well yeah so that's a whole another episode that i believe we're gonna have to do because it gets i mean the fact that this is now also related to a kind of i don't know ayahuasca scam um which i mean in some cases i mean has resulted in the death of a woman there are people who've been defrauded you mentioned the uh brothel that was shut down Mm -hmm. uh running out of i believe scottsdale I think so, yeah. Anyway, all of this under James Mooney's fantastic leadership after winning a pretty landmark Supreme Court case on the use of uh, peyote, ayahuasca, and other hallucinogens um, for legit, they say, religious ceremony uh, purposes. But uh, Hamblin was a pretty prominent member of the Oklava Native American Church up until a point well, the best that we can find out now is that he's actually running his own church organization that yeah. runs its own peyote ceremony. So either affiliated, loosely affiliated with Mooney, although it's not on any of the business documents, um, that organization is called Four Winds, and he is the primary medicine man in it. Its beliefs are very confusing. We found a couple YouTube videos where he attempts explaining some of them, and it does seem like a drug addict's fusion of Christianity, uh, environmentalism, Mormonism, and heavy drug use. Yeah, and and one thing that's crazy about like the Native American churches is that like there is no singular Native American religion. No, right? Like obviously there was like a huge uh, variation within different tribes and different regions, and like Hamlin's just like a white guy who will actually describe himself as a baby. Um, and just like kind of coming in here and it's like, well, you know, we got all this, uh, you know, Native American shit, but you know what? We got Mormonism too. We're putting it together a little bit of peyote and putting that shit in the peace pipe and lighting it up. Well, we shouldn't summarize that. Let's hear it from the man himself. Hello, my name is David Hamblin. I am a priest in the Lakota Native American Church, even though I'm a white man. I am, of course, unworthy to be so, and I'm only a baby in Lakota medicine ways. It is unusual to make a baby a priest in any religion. Okay. All right. So, obviously, that, you know, report that we read from today, pretty heavy stuff in there. Um, and, you know, one thing, like, I want to stress is, is the reason we really brought this in is because, like, you know, I was, you know, obviously very open-minded about the Levitt Levitt claims, you know, mm. I'm like, this guy seems like a real fucking freak, you know? Yeah. I, I, I believe it. You know, like, let's see what, let's see what's going on. Let's see what this report he's talking about is. You know, once again, we read that report and it seemed, it seems frankly crazy if you yeah. read it. Like, it seems beyond really most other cases of like ritual abuse that, you know, I read about. Like some really fantastical, st- I mean, more fantastical even than some of, some of the fantastical stuff. Um. But kind of cross-referencing that with this gets you to a really interesting place. 
because there are a few things that are really similar. One of them is the semen drinking stuff. Um, and, you know, the other is just like, okay, it seems like Hamblin's MO was to try to convince vulnerable people that they were the victims of satanic ritual abuse before then molesting them himself. Yes. In a basically ritualized manner. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and that, to me, is it's like, that's that's what we were sort of saying earlier, like the inception thing. Like, yeah. I hadn't actually really encountered that before. Um, and, you know, th- there's a, could be a number of reasons why he allegedly might have done that, right? Like, maybe he's trying to make their stories so kind of fantastical and absurd that you have a guy like David Levitt get up there and be like, this is a mentally ill young woman. You know, this is obviously untrue. You know, there was no baby cannibalism mm. or anything like that. Um, but if you mix in actual abuse with that stuff, it's sort of like it washes it in a way. We also know that, you know, he is a big fan of and proponent of peyote. Mm-hmm. Uh not just for himself, but for other people in these kind of healing, what he calls healing ceremonies. Yeah. And young people taking hallucinogenics and then kind of being told that things happen or through the power of suggestion. Yeah. Now suddenly, you know, believing things to have happened and it being reinforced by someone who's basically an authority figure, either as a therapist, a healer, or a father. Yeah. I mean it's just it's really fucked up and crazy it, yeah, to think about. Exactly. I mean and and you know there is there's you know there's quite a few court documents including 992000 him being reported by by his uh ex-wife for uh you know for abuse um and you know her saying that he had given their their kids peyote. Yeah. Um you know he's giving his like young children peyote and telling them fucking god knows what. You know that's the thing is like even if okay at the very sort of maximalist thing, this is some crazy ass, like super satanic panic kind of stuff. Like it does seem like he was really was engaged in some pretty sinister practices, even at the very most charitable reading here. Golly, baby doll. Man, I got to say, uh, another rare Liz, Maya Copable. Uh-huh. Um, I said that this didn't have Lynch vibes. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have Lynch vibes, mm. but it's feeling real True Detective season four. Yeah. I got to say this. I, I'm Hamblin does have Lynch vibes. It does, but Mooney, yeah. less Lynch, more... HBO, yeah, like psycho, like I don't know, patriarch business owner, you know, ha- you know, has his own kind of setup here. I mean, this yeah. thing's got layers. This thing's got layers, and that's the thing is like and local politicians. Yeah, yeah, maybe crooked DAs, maybe not crooked DAs. Yeah, the thing is too, like I, you know, I, I, I would. Uh, advise anybody from really taking, like, obviously, aside from you know the victims in this, like. Not exactly. Even if Levitt's being set up here, because it does seem like 
like, I don't know what to call it set up because it does seem pretty clear that actually the police should actually reopen this investigation. Yeah. Like, but it does, obviously the timing here is being used sure. against Levitt. Yeah. Um, you know, noting that fact doesn't make Levitt necessarily a good guy or anything. You know, that doesn't mean like he's a, like... If he's be him being set up does not give him any no like, yeah it no. doesn't make him a saint. I gotta say I don't really like anyone in in this story. No, Brad, no. I really feel for. Yeah, yeah, Brad. Brad seems Brad seems like a like a, you know the interviews he seems yeah he seems like a, seems like a good guy. Yeah. Um, plus, they tried to fucking take his his gay adopted babies. Yeah. The Utah judge, not for anything weird, to be clear. <laughs> um. Well, shit. This is not the this is not the end of Utah Detective. No, we have three Todd coming oh, yeah. up. We gotta come up with a better name than that. We'll get to, by the third episode. I mean, no, we're not necessarily gonna do all these in order, but by the third episode of this, we're gonna have it all figured out. The name, not necessarily the case. Until then, I'm Liz. My name is retired sergeant, but coming back for one last case. Uh, brace. And of course, with us is producer Young Chopsky. And the podcast is called Utahn. <laughs> Utahn-non. Yes. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Jeff, 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 Jeff,